Hello, everyone, and welcome back inside the home office. I'm Craig D'Amico, and this is NEC Football on the Run. It was a big weekend of action this past week, a slate that included our very first conference game of the season. Yes, the road to the 2022 NEC Football Championship is underway. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to go through our top stars of the week. We're going to chat about some stats. We're going to preview the upcoming weekend slate. And we'll bring in Sacred Heart running back Malik Grant for our weekly conversation. Look forward to that chat. But first, let's take you back through the week that was with our top headlines. It's time for the pick six. We start with our top headline, the NEC game of the week, the conference opener featuring teams who have had a hand in claiming at least a share of the last five NEC championships interstate rivals, the Central Connecticut State Blue Devils, and the two-time reigning and defending champion, the Sacred Art Pioneers, under the lights last Saturday night at a root field in New Britain on ESPN3. After getting shut out the week before against Lafayette in the opener and stopped in the final seconds at the goal line, the Pioneers finally found the end zone on their second series against CCSU taking over in Blue Devil territory at the Central 35. After the defense helped flip field position, the Pioneers navigated their way down the field, 10 plays, 35 yards, 5 minutes, 11 seconds, and Malik Grant walks right into the end zone, the very first Pioneer points of the season, and a 7-0 Sacred Heart lead. Central got a field goal right at the end of the first half to go into intermission, down by 4, 7-3, and then they grabbed the lead in the third quarter. After forcing a Sacred Heart fumble in the red zone, they, they then turned it around and scored on a Nas Smith one-yard touchdown run. Nas, it ain't hard to tell who is one of the top playmakers for the Blue Devils. He was. Smith was Central's leading rusher and receiver on the night. Sacred Heart that answered right back with a 13-play, 64-yard drive to retake the advantage, 14-10, on a Rob McCoy 14-yard touchdown run. McCoy kind of dragged the entire Central defense with them there for the final five yards to get into the end zone. Now, Central would have two more chances. First, on a fourth and six at the Sacred Heart 19. They picked up four on a completion to Everett Warmly, but they needed six. Four wasn't good enough. He ended up just shy of the first down marker, resulting in a turnover on downs. But two plays later, Womack fumbled the ball for Sacred Heart, recovered by Central, so there was new life. The Blue Devils took over close to midfield and had a final chance. They got it to second and goal at the Sacred Heart 5 with about 100 seconds remaining in regulation. Romello Williams rolls out to the right, fires to the end zone, but Arsheen Giles steps in front of the intended receiver, picks it off, and the Pioneers can exhale. They lost it at the goal line last week. They win it at the goal line this week. 14 to 10, Sacred Heart 1 0 in conference play to start the 2022 campaign. Although they might want to get the defibrillators ready in Fairfield. I don't know if their fan base is going to make it through the season if every game comes down to the goal line in the final seconds. Now, penalties still a problem for Sacred Heart. They committed six for 73 yards and they turned the ball over a couple of times, but the defense was key again. They held Central to three for 12 on third down, just 10 points allowed, and 254 total yards for uh, of offense for the game. Another strong performance, and we'll have more on the Sacred Heart defense coming up later in the show. Now, Stonehill was the only NEC team to win back in week one. How would they follow that up in week two, their home opener at WB Mason Stadium against Post University? Well, 
let's just say the people in charge of writing the Stonehill football record books, they earned their paycheck on this afternoon, considering they practically had to rewrite the entire thing. The Skyhawks scored on their first eight straight possessions, leading 41 zip at the end of the first quarter and 55 nothing at the half. The Skyhawks put up 496 total yards of offense on their way to a 76 nothing win. They were tossing around points like they toss around glow sticks at Coachella. The 76 points, a school record. The margin of victory, a school record. This is going to start to sound like a broken record. They had six touchdown runs, which tied the program record. Plus, they forced five turnovers and had seven different players find the end zone. And our buddy kicker Perry Shelbred had 10 points on the afternoon, all on extra points. Quarterback Asher Karaha had four of his nine completions go for touchdowns. Jermaine Corbett had three touchdown runs. Chris Domerkan had two touchdown catches. Tom Camella recovered a blocked punt for a touchdown as Stonehill starts 2-0 for the second straight year. Now, I know what everybody's thinking, so I'll say it. Stonehill's 2-0, yeah, but it's great and all. What a great story, but two wins against a couple of D2 teams. What happens when they finally tangle with a Division I FCS team? Well, we're going to have to be patient to wait and find out what happens because the Skyhawks are going to disappear like David Blaine for the next two weeks. They won't reemerge again until October 1st, their conference opener against Duquesne. Speaking about Duquesne, after falling in their first two games of the season on the road, the Dukes returned home this week to take on Thomas Moore, and the home cooking is exactly what they needed as the Dukes rode their running back, Billy Lucas, for 136 yards and two touchdowns in a 34-14 win. Duquesne went ground and pound, outrushing the Saints 249 of 47, over 200 yards of an advantage there in the run game, and they owned a 10-minute time of possession advantage on the night. They were also efficient when they did put the ball in the air. Joe Mishler went 18 for 23 for 241 yards and two touchdowns. Dwayne Menders Jr. had a career-high 165 of those 241 yards and one of those two scores. Duquesne now 17-1 and in their 18 home openers under head coach Jerry Schmidt. Now up next, the Dukes will be heading to the Aloha State to take on the Rainbow Warriors coming up this Saturday. And we have some news on their itinerary that you might find interesting. The team departed Pittsburgh on Tuesday morning about 9 a.m., had a layover in Denver, and arrived at about 9 p.m. Eastern time, which is 3 p.m. local, so a full day of travel. There was a hike at Diamond Head. Once they finally got there, they toured Pearl Harbor. They had a beach day on Friday, all working around practices, of course, because, I mean, it's a business trip. They're there to play a football game, right? So this team is looking to get back to 500 before opening up conference play against Stonehill on October 1st. Aloha, Dukes, and good luck against the Rainbow Warriors. On to number five, following their overtime loss last week to Akron, the St. Francis Red Flash were back on the road to challenge the Richmond Spiders. Trailing 14-6 in the second quarter, the Red Flash D came up with an interception. Quarterback Justin Slowoski connected with wide receiver Makai Jackson for a 45-yard strike three plays later to get within one going into halftime. Jackson with a big day, by the way, eight catches for 123 yards and that big 45-yard score. Now, going to the fourth quarter, trailing 24-13, Slowoski ran it in from 13 yards out, plus the two points were converted to get SFU back within 
three. They had a chance with the football and under two minutes to go to drive down to tie, maybe even win the game. But Slowoski was intercepted on a second and seven by Aaron Banks, who ran it all the way back the other direction for a pick six. Richmond gets the W 31-21. The Red Flash dropped to 0-2 on the season after a pair of tough, hard-fought games. They'll be back on the road this week and kick on Wagner in their conference opener, and we'll have more on that game coming up later in the show. Finally, elsewhere in the NEC, LIU fell at home to fifth-ranked Villanova, and Wagner was stopped by Rutgers 66-7. The NEC standings have Sacred Heart in first place with a 1-0 conference record. Stonehill is still unblemished overall at 2-0. Merrimack 1-1, Duquesne 1-2, with LIU, St. Francis, Wagner, and Central still in search of their first win of the season. It's now time for our top three stars of the week, and there were plenty of candidates to choose from, but we start with number three. It's Merrimack defensive back and special team standout Gary Rosemont Jr. The sophomore found the end zone twice this past weekend, first on a 40-yard pick six in the first half, then a 94-yard kick return touchdown in the second half. Rosemont had a pick in each of the first two games of the season, and he was honored this week as the NEC Special Teams Player of the Week. Number two is LIU defensive back Victor Nelson Jr. He also had an interception last week, and he didn't have one this week. He had three against the number five team in the country. It marked LIU's first three-pick game by a single player since their final D2 season back in 2018. It was one shy of a program record. LIU had a four interception game by a single player back in 1968. Nelson currently leads all of FCS with four interceptions on the season, and he was this week's NEC Defensive Player of the Week. Our top star is Sacred Heart running back Malik Grant. During our preview of the Sacred Heart Central game on last week's show, we questioned whether Grant could break out against the Blue Devils like he did last year. And Saturday night, we got our answer. Yes. Yes, he can. After getting shut out and stopped the goal line in the opener against Lafayette, he carried the ball for 25 times, 109 yards, and he got the Pioneers on the board with their and his first touchdown of the season to help lead the Pioneers to a 14-10 win over their interstate rivals in the conference opener. Sacred Heart starting 1-0 in conference play, thanks to Malik Grant, our Week 2 NEC Football on the Run top star. And now here on NEC Football on the Run, we are joined by a returning customer, Sacred Heart running back Malik Grant, who joined us a few weeks ago back on Media Day, and he's here with us now to help recap the first two weeks of the season. Malik, thanks so much for joining us once again. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, we, we know, you know, everyone wants their ball, the, the ball in their hands with the game on the line. And, you know, let's go back two weeks ago in that first game of the season. You had the ball in your hands with the game on the line and you were stopped on the goal line. Now, we know the 24-hour rule to put the last game behind you. But be honest, after that, how long did it take to kind of get over that? Uh, I don't think me or anyone on the team really got over it because we're all very livid after the game. You know, that was a game we should have won. We should have produced more. We should have did a lot more to win that game as well. So it stuck with us throughout the whole week of practice, no matter what it was, because we know we're better than that. And we know there's a lot more that we need to do to get better. So 
And, and it was interesting the way the schedule aligned because you're going right into your first conference game. So perfect for a little bit of extra motivation going into that. Uh, you know, we, we talked in our first interview about the big game that you had against Central last year. and It was in the middle of that three or four game stretch that you had last season. So what was the key to your success running the football this past weekend? Uh, the key to my success running the ball this past weekend, I'll definitely say the offensive line, you know, those guys up front, they stepped up and they did an amazing job blocking up front. They gave me a very clear path of where to run the ball. And um, coaches calling our plays, you know, they trust and believe in me to keep running the ball, to keep running hard and give putting the ball in my hands. So it was just really the offensive line, those big guys up front and the receivers out wide, you know, they did a very, very phenomenal job blocking outside on the edges to really give me lanes to just put my foot in the ground and get upfield. And that's really what it was. And now on the other side of things, how good is your defense? <laughs> the defense. <laughs> I mean, have you seen what they've done in the past? Yeah. Yep. Especially um going back to last season, you know, those guys are amazing over there. Um, defense is amazing. The DBs, lockdown corners, the linebackers, amazing. They're on their P's and Q's no matter what it is. Defensive line. That's a, that's probably one of our best groups on the team. I feel like, and like personally, in our safeties, like those guys over there, and Coach Mike Cook, you know, he's an amazing coordinator. He's literally on his p's and q's all game, literally calling out what the other team is doing because he's such an amazing defensive coordinator. He knows exactly what he's doing. And the defense, those guys, they play lights out no matter what it is. They play for each other, and it's just amazing to have those guys on your side, you know, and not playing against those guys because they're so good at what they do. You, you took the next question out of my mouth. Like, it, it must be fortunate for you to be on the same team. I mean, you go up against them in practice, but you know, fortunately you don't have to go up to, against them in a game situation, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's very great for us as an offense, you know, to play against the best defense every single day in practice, day in and day out, especially with a defensive coordinator like Coach Cook, you know. Um, he does a lot, of, a lot of different things in practice where it challenges us to get better no matter what it is. So it is amazing to – it is good for us as an offense to play against the best defense every single day in practice. Yeah, Coach Cook definitely co cooking up some great things over there in the defensive meeting room out there in Fairfield. Now, I, as always, you know, coming off the win, but there's still some things to shore up. I would say, you know, penalties and turnovers are probably the biggest things I would imagine your coaches are, are hammering at you here these first couple of games. What, what, what has been the message, uh, you know, as far as things to, to improve on going forward? All the messages, don't get complacent. Um, there's a lot of mistakes that's made, and we need to clean those up to become an even better football team. You know, Don't get complacent. Don't be okay with, oh, with just beating Central and just getting one win. Like, Let's try to improve every single day, get better, and stop turning the ball over because that's a major factor in games. Don't turn the ball over anymore. Do not put the ball on the ground. And make sure you hold on to that ball and stop creating stupid penalties and shooting ourselves in the foot when it when it's game time, you know? I would imagine you probably heard that once or twice uh, the last week or two weeks or yeah. so. Now, before we go into the big finish here, you know, during the summer, we talked a little bit about uh, your, your tag team partner there from last year, Julius Chestnut, who was in camp with the Titans, and he ended up making the, the final 53. So, you know, how, how proud are you of him? And, and what are some of your thoughts when you first heard that he, that he made the roster? Uh, I'm extremely proud of him. You know, um, when I first heard when he told us, like when he texted us in our little group chat that we had with the guys, he told us that he made the roster. Like I jumped up and I was so excited. Like I couldn't stop smiling because I was just like, he worked so hard to get to this point and look at him now. Like 
Like everyone doubted him no matter what it was. He was undrafted and everything. And he still went out there and worked his butt off day in and day out. And he made the roster. And now he's doing what he loves, doing like he accomplished his dream. Now he's going to go on and play in the NFL and keep working hard no matter what it is. It was just super excited. Me and all the guys were just super excited for him and happy for him that he was able to never give up, give up on his dream. And look at him now. He's accomplished what, what he dreamed of since he was a little kid. Absolutely. It's awesome to see. It's great to hear the news. And, and, and now we're going into our, our rapid fire here. We have our final five questions for you. Just shoot out the first thing that comes to mind. All right. All right. All right. Your favorite pregame meal, either the morning of or the night before, what's your go to? Favorite pregame meal? Uh, I don't really, I wouldn't say I really have a favorite pregame meal, but I definitely say I love to eat some type of fruit before the game, like grapes, watermelon, anything of that sort. It makes me feel comfortable, feel good. Right, you can't go wrong, right? That, that, that's a good choice. Who, who's your favorite player, either current or in the past, to, to watch play? My favorite player, current or in the past? Uh, I'll definitely say Barry Sanders. I, I really love his game. Le'Veon Bell, when I first started watching football ever, that's one of the first running backs I saw. So I, I really love his game as well. Uh, current, I'll say uh deandre swift for surely um uh saquon barkley jonathan teller a lot of those guys you know awesome now question three we, we know that your defense we talked about them earlier they have that money in the bank briefcase after they get the big turnover uh if the offense got to have some sort of prop after they score a touchdown and have like a big celebration with this prop what what would, what would the prop be? What do you think would be a good choice? Offensive prop? Oof. I'm not sure. Probably like, uh. If I could throw out a suggestion, you know, the pioneers, right? So like one of those like coonskin caps that have like the little tail <laughs> on the back of it. I don't know. That, that's just for starters, maybe. That will be funny. That will be funny. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I feel like for us. Um, maybe just like the solo cups, like how the defense has it, you know, because it's a party, party in the end zone. There we go. Putting the points, you know. <laughs> so, sounds good to me. Can't go wrong with that. Um, if, if your teammates could describe you with one word, what word do you think your teammates would use to describe you? Uh, one word. I think my teammates, uh, I don't really know. That's really for my teammates to answer, you know. I really, I'm not sure. Okay. And, <laughs> and finally finish the sentence. Sacred Heart wins the NEC championship this year if? If we stop creating stupid penalties and shooting ourselves in the foot and get our act together and keep playing hard and score more points on offense and defense keeps balling out. Well, you, you certainly turned things around this past week. I back in the win column off to a 1-0 start in conference. So I put that grit that good foot forward and uh still obviously like you said still plenty of work to go but uh thank you so much for joining us Malik and best of luck the rest of the way thank you very much I appreciate that that was Sacred Heart running back Malik Grant here on NEC football on the run it's time now for stat chat and this week we take a closer look at the Sacred Heart pioneer defense led by DC Mike Cook we talked last week about how Sacred Heart held Lafayette just six points 113 total yards and just eight eight passing yards while recording two interceptions and sacking the quarterback three times. 
This week, they followed it up by holding Central to just 10 points with three sacks and two more interceptions. Nationally, the Pioneers rank third in the nation in total defense, allowing just 183 and a half yards per game. They're tied for sixth in the nation in scoring defense, allowing an average of just eight points per game. And their four team interceptions in two games this year is currently good for fourth in the nation. Great numbers all around for the Sacred Heart defense. They are the subjects of this week's Stat Chat. And now let's examine the week three schedule. Here's what we have coming up on tap. On Friday night, the Merrimack Warriors will be traveling about 23 miles south to Cambridge, Massachusetts to battle the Harvard Crimson at 7 p.m. Then on Saturday, Sacred Heart will take that defense on the road for a third straight week, three straight road games to start the season. They don't play their home opener until next week's homecoming game against Dartmouth. But this week, they're in Baltimore against Morgan State for a noon kickoff they met last year in Fairfield with the Pioneers coming away with a 21-7 win. The LIU Sharks will be on the road against FBS opponent Kent State. LIU taking on FBS teams in two of their first three contests of the season. Then under the light, Central Connecticut State will be at Southeastern Louisiana. And technically Sunday morning on the East Coast, 12 a.m. kickoff Eastern time. Stay up late slash early. Or, of course, it's 6 p.m. Saturday night Hawaiian time. It'll be Duquesne taking on Hawaii. But our game of the week this week will be a conference clash between the St. Francis Red Flash and the Wagner Seahawks atop Grimes Hill. 4 p.m. kick on NEC front row. Wagner leads the all-time series 22-8, to but most of that damage was done from 1992 to 2014 when they won 21 of the first 24 meetings. But since then, the Red Flash have turned things around. They've taken four out of the last six affairs, including a 39-24 win last year in Loretto. Wagner led that game 14-6 at the half, but St. Francis poured on 33 second-half points to come away with the win. Now, SFU has had some tough non-conference battles in their first two games, as we mentioned earlier, taking Akron into overtime, playing Richmond tough down to the final possessions in the fourth quarter last week. And their offense in those two games has put up some great numbers. They're averaging over 400 yards per game with Swalowski at the controls. They'll be going up against a defense that hasn't put up great stats, but part of that is because of the level of competition that Wagner has faced in the first two weeks. Last check, they still feature the reigning defensive player of the year in Titus Leo, who had that sack and four and a half tackles for a loss game two weeks ago. Also on the line in this game, Wagner is looking for their first W since September 28th of 2019. They are hungry to eat some W's. Their current unfortunate streak is at 22 games. Wagner is looking to put that in the rearview mirror on Saturday. St. Francis has won their last two conference openers, and for a team that was picked Third in the preseason poll this year, starting out 1-0 is of the utmost importance. The last time they fell in their NEC opener, you have to go back to 2018 to the Wagner Seahawks. The last time SFU visited Wagner College Stadium and Hamline Field. And that'll just about do it for this week's episode. We thank you for watching. What a great chat it was with Malik Grant. Always a great guest to talk to. It's interesting to hear how... They were a little perturbed. That first game being stopped the goal line still lingered a little bit, but they were able to right the ship against Central Connecticut this past week. Start off 1-0 in conference play, but like he said, there's still a lot of uh, P's and Q's to sure up going forward. We'll see the Pioneers against Morgan State coming up this weekend. Also, SFU and Wagner 
in conference action, plus much, much more. We'll be back here next week to wrap it all up for you right back here on NEC Football on the Run. Until then, I'm Craig D'Amico, and we'll see you as always next week.